we have referred to the power of prayer in other lessons, but this morning we will try to bring that more forcibly to our minds, as prayer is powerful. Let's turn to the 23rd Psalm. We all know this very well, but we will think of it, what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now it's not new to any of us that that simple It's one of the simplest of all the psalms, and one of the briefest. But that simple and brief psalm, used as a fervent prayer, can become a great source of power and of comfort in our lives. There are not many of us, perhaps, who uh, in some hour of sorrow, great sorrow, of fear, or apprehension, some danger that we are faced with in which we have not repeated that song and found real comfort in doing it, a sense of comfort and satisfaction and resting in the Lord has been the result of it. When we read it, we realize it comes as from a lamb, or one of lamb-like character, one who is gentle, inoffensive, perhaps a feeling of helplessness, with a feeling of helplessness, a feeling of dependence upon and entirely trusting in its master to shepherd it and to lead it into comfort and safety. There are many times in the life of his followers when they need to feel the power that that psalm has to help them to the realization that he can and does lead us into green pastures beside still waters, that he can restore and does restore our strength our spiritual strength and our well-being to lead us in a plain path 
Life's very complicated today. And we need to feel the Lord has us by the hand, or we have put him, put our hand in his. And he's leading us in a plain, uncomplicated path. It bespeaks a confidence for care that extends beyond our daily problems and our ordinary walk, even into the valley of the shadow of death. Even there, Christ's lambs can fear no evil. They can repose re supreme confidence in their shepherd to watch over, to preserve, and to keep them. And in the final outworking, their lives being hid with Christ in God when Christ, who is our chief shepherd, shall appear. He shall prepare a situation where the Lamb may be bountifully blessed, all enemies overcome, the blessing of the shepherd poured out like oil upon his head. Divine goodness and mercy forevermore being the ultimate lot of all Christ's lambs who manifest their faith and trust through prayer and well-doing. Such is the power of him who is our chief shepherd to respond to our prayer, to gently guide and comfort those who commit their way to him, who trust in him, knowing he will bring it to pass. Jesus himself had this care in mind when in his final prayer in the upper room for his followers, in which he committed them to the Father's care and keeping, he said the words that, like this 23rd Psalm, we can take supreme comfort in. Turn to John 17. We want to read a few verses. He's here praying as the chief shepherd for his reversal of the situation in the 23rd Psalm. It is the shepherd now who's asking the father to keep the sheep, to keep the lambs. We aren't going to read a great deal. We're going to read verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one, as we are. And now let's look at verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for all them also which shall believe on me through their word. There, brethren and sisters, we are brought into the orbit of this prayer of the shepherd for the sheep. And the combination of Christ's prayer and ours united with it 
produces the greatest force, the greatest power for good that can enter into the lives of any created beings. We wonder if we appreciate it. We today keep ourselves in the orbit of God's care and keeping through joining our prayers to Christ's and his petitions. And we are thus of that body of those of whom the Apostle Peter speaks when he says, We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Kept by the power of God. That poem, which I repeated the first verse of in the opening lessons, and the opening lesson, has a couple of others which are very striking along the lines we've been speaking. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrow share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden? Cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll gently shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. And it would seem that as the followers of Christ, we would be constantly in mind of this great power for good that we can bring ourselves to or we can bring into uh, our lives. But we don't always do that. The perversity of human nature is very strong. It's sad to say. But those of old time had the same human nature to struggle with. And again, the psalmist recounted the perversity in his disposition. Instead of acknowledging our weaknesses, instead of asking God for help, sometimes we, together with the psalmist, very foolishly try to hide our sins, try to cover them in our own way, as Adam did his in Eden. We may have a besetting sin, the scripture speaks of it, and we make such allowances for it that we don't make the necessary effort not only to overcome it, but to secure God's help in overcoming, there's our failure. And so we hide it. And the psalmist acknowledges that 
situation. Let's turn to the 32nd Psalm and draw the lesson there that is presented to us in this connection. The first verse is, is a very familiar one and recounts the blessedness of the man. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no God. And there we have a beautiful picture, which we'd all like to be in at all times. We've had the initial covering, the initial forgiveness of our sins in the waters of baptism. What a pity it is that we can't and don't remain in that kind of beautiful a situation. But here he is giving us the sad condition in which he entered. When I kept silence, that is, when he failed to pray to the Almighty, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Here he is depicting his experience when he neglected prayer and confession. This roaring is the inward groaning of the spirit complaining uh, against the uh, sadness and burden that he was carrying due to the fact he was not acknowledging his transgression. He continues, For day and night my, thy hand is heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. The freshness and natural vitality that we have when we feel buoyant and uh, at one with God spiritually was missing. It was gone because he had allowed a barrier of silence to come between him and his maker. What a sad situation he found himself in. Today, that kind of burden is called by the, uh, those who uh, look into the minds, it's called a guilt complex. And that's what the psalmist was carrying around with him. Let's look at verses 5 and 6 and see what he did to remedy the situation finally. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my soul. There was the happy result of finally awakening to the realization that he had taken himself away from his, his creator, that he had failed to seek the source of love, of mercy, of favor, of forgiveness that he had with God. He was attempting to carry his own burden of sin, and it was, it was too oppressive. How often have we found ourselves, perhaps, in that kind of situation? It's our own fault. It's our own failure to take advantage, brethren and sisters, of the power of prayer in our lives to secure for us the favor and blessing of God if we, in sincerity and truth, repent and call upon Him. 
What a burden of sin we can carry because we fail to take ourselves to God, to confess and acknowledge it. Verse 6, For this, that is, for this cause, or for this reason, that is, in order to obtain the forgiveness, that is, with God, shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. And that time is today, brethren and sisters. It'll be too late if we, if Christ comes and finds us carrying that kind of a burden around with us. Then it'll be too late. So for this cause, in order to obtain the mercy and power that he can bring into our lives, will him that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. So let us exercise this privilege of prayer and bring into our lives the power that is there when we call up upon our Creator for help. For as we've said before, prayer becomes the means of bringing God increasingly into our lives as a constant, active force, which is the greatest power for good, the most effective defense against evil, to which we can be related. We know that, but we need oftentimes to remind ourselves of it. And here's a, a statement in James that we need to burn into our minds. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We're going to come to that again tomorrow. And the reason it does is because it aligns that man or woman with God's ways. That's the reason that their prayers avail much, is because they align their lives with God's ways and thus bring him in as the source of power and good and him who can cover or take away our sins. the most gracious invitation conceivable is held out to us in the words of the Apostle Peter. In Let's turn to it. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. And how much we need this today, you know, and I know. But we only know as individuals how much we need it in our own lives. Paul Bird, Brother Paul Bird, would you read that, please? First Peter five, verse six and seven. Can you think of a greater invitation? or one that we need more today than that, as a power working good in our lives, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. But he doesn't do that unless we ask him. He doesn't do that arbitrarily. He doesn't force his attentions or his care upon us. We must ask him for it. We must plead with him. We must agonize at times for it in order 
not to awaken him, but to awaken our own selves to our need for it. Brother Collier, in one of his books, I think it's... Uh, uh, the Guiding Light, has this quotation. When we recognize the simple truth that for the Christ follower, the law of God enters into everything, then we recognize that the true Son of God is one who goes blithely all the day, neither terror-stricken nor of doubtful mind, but endeavoring to live in this sin-blighted world as God would have him live. He knows he's often sinned through weakness of human flesh, but he also knows that there is forgiveness with God. And we might add, and that forgiveness is obtainable through Christ as our mediator, through whom we come to God in prayerful petition. Brethren and sisters, that is possible. It's only possible for some of us after long, long struggles and experiences and heartaches. But it may be a lesson that we finally learn. And when we do, there's a great deal of comfort and help in it. A great sense of the, of the appreciation of the fact that we have brought God into our lives as the greatest power for sustaining us that we know there's available. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul says in writing to the Hebrews that results from our full appreciation of the realization of Christ as our mediator who has suffered just as we suffer. That is, of course, in the Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and verses beginning at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. But let us look at this 16th verse to show the confidence that it produces, that consideration. Let us therefore come boldly or confidently under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace, favor, or we might say power, to help in time of need. Phillips, in his translation, has, has rephrased that very beautifully. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with fullest confidence that we may receive mercy for our failure and grace to help in our hour of need. Isn't that beautiful? The psalmist, in looking back on his life, in retrospect, said in the 34th Psalm, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard and delivered him out of all his troubles. That was the power of God through prayer 
in his life. This poor man cried to the Lord, and the Lord delivered him out of all his troubles. Let's turn for a, an associate thought to Hebrews five, uh, 13, verses 5 and 6. Calvin, would you read that for us, please? Without prayer, maintain that kind of an attitude of mind? I don't think any of us would say it's possible. Without prayer, to have that confidence. Because without prayer, we have lost, in great measure, that contact with the mind of God. With that source of strength and power that brings him into our lives as our helper so that we will not fear what man can do unto us. Prayer is the essential for maintaining that contact that causes us to respond in this statement by Paul, I will, to the Father's promise, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's conditional and it's conditional on our continuing to ask God never to leave or forsake us. We do that through prayer and it brings him to us. Now, there are several, many, infinitely, a number of examples we could point to in uh, the lives of the faithful ones that exhibit the power of prayer or response to prayer in a most wonderful way. We want to turn for one example uh, to the life of Elijah and that well-known example on Mount Carmel in Kings eight, in 1 Kings 18 of his contest on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. And see his methods of contending with the forces of evil that were around him. We remember this is against a background uh, of great evil in the land of Israel. Their king, Ahab, had married Jezebel, the daughter of the wicked, idolatrous king of uh, Sidon. And she, true to her upbringing, had brought in the iniquitous worship of Baal with all the prophets. And she had busily set about con con uh, 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 corrupting the worship of the true God in Israel. She had slain the prophets of the Lord and they had only been delivered by being hidden in caves and in the rocks of the earth. And Israel was in danger of complete apostasy. We remember that on one occasion Elijah felt in his despair in the situation that he was the only one who was left who had not bowed the knee to Baal. 
But there came a crisis in which he, as the prophet of the Lord, was exhibiting or intended to exhibit without question the power of God in this matter to show the false position of those who called on other gods. And we remember how he caused them to assemble the animals for sacrifice on Mount Carmel and uh, how they did and how he told the prophets of Baal to call on their gods uh, on that god to uh, uh, burn up the sacrifice and they couldn't and he uh, told them that perhaps the god was asleep that they should cry louder and they did and they cut themselves with knives and here was a great dramatic uh, uh, situation in which he had an excellent opportunity to show his uh, power but let's see what he did and Elijah took twelve stones according in the 31st verse according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob unto whom the word of the Lord came saying Israel shall be thy name and with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as could contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And he did it the second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. Now, here we have the stage set. Now what does he do? And it came to pass at the time of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turn their heart back again. That was his purpose, to bring Israel back to God, to cause his father's, uh, God's name to be glorified in their lives and to show uh, the uh, uh, iniquitous uh, situation that had developed as a result of their listening to the prophets of Baal. He utters this simple, quiet prayer upon which so much depended. And we know the very beautiful, very powerful way it was answered. 38th verse, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. And so the way we have in the life of this prophet a, a very wonderful demonstration of the way in which the Lord responded to that briefly, that brief simple prayer that called on him to vindicate his name and to justify Elijah for his faith. We'll never, any of us in this day and time, be Elijah's. But we have times in our lives when to us we're faced with problems 
that may be to us in our weakness just as great as this one was to Elijah in his great strength. My mind goes back, maybe yours does too, to the impact on the life of a young brother who's called to go into uh, representing and carrying and witnessing to their faith when they're asked to do by the authorities something they cannot do take up arms and slay their fellow men. That brings an impact into the, in their simple faith that to them may offer the same kind of need to vindicate the, the name of God and to justify their position that Elijah had his. And they need our prayers and they need to approach God very much just as Elijah did here for help to overcome that kind of an obstacle. Let's think of another case. The case referred to uh, yesterday, but under a different situation, Daniel, chapter 2. We have in this chapter the vision of Nebuchadnezzar, the dream. He couldn't recall it. He calls on his own magicians and soothsayers and astrologers for the explanation. They couldn't help because they didn't know the dream and he had, couldn't recall it. The edict goes forth that all the wise men are to be destroyed, of which Daniel was at that time one of the number, a young man. And Daniel had not had an opportunity, we recall, to consider the matter. And uh, he approaches the king's captain, Arioch, in the 15th verse. Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch said, made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time, and he would show the king the interpretation. So then... Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision, the offering of prayer, the bringing in of the power of God by prayer into this matter, God's answer, deliverance, in a most dramatic way resulted in Daniel being revealed the answer, standing before the king and giving him the, the initial thought in that time that there was a God of heaven that revealed the secrets and that he, Daniel, was not doing anything by his own strength but because God had revealed this to him in answer to his prayer. Daniel's salvation at that time, his being spared, was at issue. 
and God answered his prayer. Such, brethren and sisters, is the power of prayer in the lives of those who put their trust in him. We might come down a little nearer to our own day and time. We think about a situation not exactly like this, but one which has the same overtones. We think of an immigrant on a sailing ship in the year 1832, bound from Britain to America. That voyage was in a little vessel, a sailing ship of 1832, a few hundred tons burden, or maybe it was 4,000, I forget which. And it had been beset with a very stormy voyage. Several weeks had been accomplished in the voyage. And as it neared the American coast, through uh, some carelessness and improper seamanship, it was allowed to come too near the rocks that lay along the coast and were concealed by the sea. Well, suddenly that little vessel struck a submerged rock, and it was temporarily grounded. Well, immediately the passengers panicked, and it did appear that the ship was doomed to break up right there, right then and there, and go to the bottom. Well, one of the passengers, the one we have in mind particularly, while maintaining his relative sense of calm, he was very agitated. He realized that if he did perish in the sea, he was without hope. He'd given no particular thought to God and the Bible or the future, and he was entirely unprepared to die. But in recording the incident, he says that he determined that if, he, if the waves did close over him, he would go to the bottom with a prayer, Lord, have mercy on me, for Christ's sake. And he further goes on to say that he resolved at that moment within himself that if he, he was spared, he'd never rest till he found out the truth of the matter. And he would never again be found in such circumstances, in such an ignorant and uncertain state of mind. And as a result of this experience and this prayerful resolution, you and I rejoice in the hope of life eternal. Because that man, Dr. Thomas, persevered as a result of that prayerful resolution. He set immediately to work upon land to learn the truth of the Bible and what God, who God was and what his purpose was in the earth. And he brought it in the providence of God to light. The Lord must somehow have realized the depth of thought and resolution and prayer that was generated on this occasion. Such was the power of that response or that coming to God in his life. And you and I are the beneficiaries of it. Let's go over to the Acts of the Apostles for a brief consideration of the importance of prayer in their lives in their ecclesial and individual life. 
particularly their ecclesial life. We look at uh, the very familiar verse in the second chapter to see how their ecclesial activity was divided into four principal considerations. We're told they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They were the four essentials. Have they changed in their essentiality? Would we be able to dispense with doctrine? That's the foundation of the whole matter. Would we be able to have an ecclesia if we dispensed with the scriptural fellowship that is involved one with another? Would we be able to remember, to even keep in mind the sacrifice and atonement that was made for us without the breaking of bread, the memorial? No, they are all essential. But just as essential, and remember how much attention we give to those and how much we think of them, but just as essential as those are the prayers that were the for the purpose of strengthening and sustaining the believers of that time and all generations. The most, one of the most vital things. And they knew it, and they gave attention to it. And there is evidence further of how powerfully their prayers worked for them. Let's look at the 12th chapter of Acts at an incident a very, very dangerous situation and see the power of prayer at work there. Begin at the uh, first verse. Now about that time, Herod, the king, stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the, Lord, uh, the brother of John, with a sword. There was the first martyr among the twelve apostles. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also, then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, and intending after Easter or Passover to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But let's notice. But prayer was made for him without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And, say, and he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, 
and wist not that it was true uh, that he, uh, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and second ward, they came unto the main iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And Peter, and when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety the Lord hath sent his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hands of Herod, and from all the expectation of the Jews, of the people of the Jews. Now, someone might say, Well, wouldn't God have uh, delivered him anyway without the prayers of the uh, ecclesia? Well, such a question as that misses the whole point of this account. The ecclesia, very earnestly and very prayerfully, joined in spirit with Peter in his peril. They, in, through prayer and in their praying for him, realized his danger, and they, in, they placed themselves in his position with him. They couldn't go to him. So they asked the Lord in their realization of his peril and that they were one with him in this matter. They asked the Lord. It says, Prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. They agonized in this matter because they realized the serious consequences. They saw the need for a power to help Peter which was beyond their own means of doing. And so they by prayer brought the greatest power they could into the matter. And God responded just as he had promised through Christ that he would do. But it took faith and perseverance through prayer. But they united themselves with Peter in his peril in this matter. They might have said, oh, Peter's the leader of the apostles. God won't let anything happen to him. They didn't reason that way. It took prayer, and prayer was made without ceasing, and the prison doors were opened, and Peter was delivered. And the, the, the first century ecclesia never ceased to recognize the power of God in these matters and to bring him to their side in their great times of spiritual and literal danger. Sister... Sister uh, Nelda, you're getting the very point of our whole discussion. And that's the thing we need to awaken to. For three days now, it's been going over in my heart about uh, it shouldn't be 
Our purpose here is, as I'm sure we've all sensed it, is to bestir ourselves in a review of these things as to how, as a people of God, toward God's arm is not shortened in this matter in our day. It works, it's there to work just as powerfully in our time, not with open visitation, no, but in God's own way. We can bring him into our lives with the same measure of power and strength to manifest himself on our behalf as he did in the days of which we speak. He hasn't changed a bit. Don't confuse what we're talking about with the Holy Spirit. We don't have it. We don't need it. We have what it did in the Spirit Word. We know, and that generates faith. And faith coupled with prayer, brethren and sisters, can become the most powerful thing for good in the world, Brother Lawrence. Uh, I just noted in, in the, the margin here where it says prayer without ceasing, uh, showing us the, the word share that connotation. It says in the margin, instant and earnest prayer. I'm glad you call that to our attention. Instant and earnest prayer. They, they, really, they really believed that they needed to pray and they entered into it with the same energy that we would go to our meals or something like right. that. Right. They put their lives in uh, The thought we used yesterday. They strove, they agonized in this matter. It was of great moment to them. And they threw themselves into it with all the faith and trust. That it, was power, that it was possible for them as a group to manifest. And God answered it. The fulfillment of his promise, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous ecclesia availed much. The Holy Spirit, I don't think, entered into it except in the uh, operation of delivered fear. These people went into it, entered into it with their whole heart and mind. They called upon God through prayer, and he answered them. That's our point. Ned? No, the people must have, that prayer must have been so shocking to them to have been answered as soon as it was. So when people came there at the door and that girl went back and told Peter's they didn't believe it, so there was some doubt there. They were doubting prayer for sure because they said, oh, you're crazy. This, this, that's his... Suppose we change your word doubt to surprise that it was answered so beautifully, so quickly and so beautifully, uh, and so soon, yes, uh, quickly or soon. There's the thought. They didn't doubt because when doubt comes in, what does that do to our, our, that shows a lack of what? Faith. And faith is the, is the uh, vital ingredient of this whole business. Remember, uh, when, let me see the thing I want. 
Uh, he says, we can remove mountains by our prayers. What kind of mountains? We aren't interested in removing a literal mountain, but we are interested in removing the mountains of obstacles with which each of our paths are confronted every day. And sometimes they're pretty big, and they wear us out in trying to get over them. But he can remove them. Your, 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 your point reminds me of, it, it's humorous, maybe it doesn't belong here. I don't know, Sister Gladys may have told me this story. But it's about the, the, the woman who had a mountain in front of her house. It obstructed a beautiful view. Uh, she thought, well, I, I'd like to get that thing out of the way. She prayed. Well, she got up the next morning. The mountain was still there. Well, she said, I knew it would be. <laughs> well, that's the point. The believers didn't approach the matter like that. They didn't accomplish this thing with a doubt in their minds. But they were somewhat surprised and astonished that the, the, the eternal Father they were praying to did reach out so quickly and so beautifully and so wonderfully and delivered the, the one for whom they, was praying. they were praying. So we can give God the same opportunity to demonstrate in our lives the uh, answers to our prayers. And sometimes we'll be surprised in the way that he will answer. All right, uh, Shirley, you had your hand up with. Exactly. That it does. That's right. We're astounded. Now, uh, I, I hope at the end. Oh boy, I'm not half not half covered on this. Well, we'll go on with the discussion, uh, Brother Al. One more element in this prayer. It's not specific dimensions. It's thy will be done. That's right. We need to bring that in. We have introduced that, you remember, as the limiting uh, characteristic in this whole map. And uh, tomorrow we probably, or the next day, will bring in that factor uh, again in, in this matter. Here are a number of things that we need to, to think about. We don't only pray for ourselves, for deliverance from danger. We have a number of things that we are instructed to pray for in Scripture. Let's very quickly uh, turn to some of them. Uh, Ned, you get uh, 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Uh, Wanda, please get Romans 10, 1. Uh, Travis, uh, Psalms 122, 6. Uh, Joy, Luke 10, 2, Charlotte, Ephesians 6, 19, uh, Jean, 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4, Tom, Luke 6, 28, and uh, Vera, uh, Romans 1, 9, and uh, Mother, Matthew 6.10. These are some of the things we are instructed to pray for. So we don't want to overlook them. We, we may be so inclined to pray for ourselves or, or, or for specific uh, incidents that we overlook these broader things which we need to solicit, petition, and bring uh, God 
uh, into. Read uh, the, yours, please, Ned. First Timothy 2, 1 and 2. I thought, therefore, that first of all, supplication, prayer, and intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may be in Christ and peaceful life and all godliness and honesty. Yeah. There is a specific instruction, isn't it? For kings and those that are in authority. For what purpose? That we might lead a peaceful religious life unmolested. Right. That God's will may be so accomplished as to allow us to manifest his name as we should manifest. Thus we pray for those who have rule over us. That's sometimes overlooked. Uh, read uh, Romans 10.1, please, Wanda. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God there is the Apostles' Prayer. For whom? Israel. Israel. Now, there comes a time when Israel will be saved. When is that? When Christ comes, when God's name will be manifest in him, and Israel will be established as his first dominion in the kingdom. So in essence, in praying for the redemption of Israel, we are praying for the further fulfillment and manifestation of God's name and purpose in the earth. Read uh, Psalm 122.6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper and love thee. How does that fit into the picture, Brother Travis? If you don't love Jerusalem, you don't love God at all. When Jerusalem is blessed, what then? The whole earth will be blessed. We will be blessed. Israel will be blessed. The people of the earth will be blessed and God's name will be glorified. How about Luke 10, 2? Therefore said he unto them, The heart truly is great, but the labor is like Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers unto the harvest. What, will we, what uh, is the prayer there for? For laborers. For laborers in the vineyard. To pray for those. The apostle asked his, his, uh, uh, those who read his message to pray for him, that they pray that his work might be strengthened and increased. And so we, as those in our own time, need to pray for those who are laborers in the vineyard, uh, that God's name might uh, find uh, a, a, a hallowedness in the increase of the harvest that is being uh, uh, worked for. All right, how about Ephesians 6.19? That's for the extension of the gospel, and isn't it? The same thought that we have uh, in, in, the, uh, in the Luke reference. The extension of the gospel through the preaching of the word. How about 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4? Oh, yes, we did. Read verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable Then we are to play, pray for the conversion of others, aren't we? That God's name might be uh, uh, glorified in their coming to Him. How about Luke 6 28? Bless them that curse you, pray for them which. Yet that is to be an element of our prayers. 
to pray for our enemies. And the, the best prayer that we can ever offer for our enemy is what? For them to see the error of their ways and for them to understand and know God. For their conversion. But we are to pray for them. That way we bless them. We heap coals of fire upon their head. Perhaps they not knowing it. All right, how about Romans 1, 9? This, this is called talking to all that dead tongue. And he said, For in the ninth verse, For God is my witness, and my servant is my spirit. And the gospel is not that without speaking, I may think that I lose all of it in my mind. Now the apostle there is saying that he prays to God for that ecclesia. At Rome, did he limit his prayer to that ecclesia? No. He prays for the household of faith. And there is our example. We ask God's blessing upon not only those with whom we are closely associated, but the whole household of faith enters into the orbit that they would continue in the orbit of his love and care and keeping. That is, we pray for the whole body of Christ, who are, I believe it's being brought out, the Ecclesia of God. Then we'll close with uh, Matthew 6.10 on this. So there we have, uh, we'll close with the thought of the prayer for the coming of the kingdom. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now those things we all know. But we do well to think of them. Because in considering this subject of prayer. We're so likely to make it an individual matter. That we must realize it is a collective thing. In which the whole ecclesia joins together. In uh, accomplishing these things for which we are exhorted as a group as well as individuals to uh, offer up prayer and thanksgiving and supplication. Now it's a pity that we don't have a little more time because I have here a subject which is of uh, some importance. We may in another lesson have time for part of it. Tomorrow we have uh, we continue, in a sense, on this subject of uh, the, pow the power of prayer by considering prayer and faith. They are uh, closely allied, and uh, we have mentioned uh, them in effect this morning. Now, for a brief time until the bell rings, we'll have discussion so far on what we've talked about. Brother Excellent thought. I'll quote the scripture, Brother Lawrence, that indicates to whom the Lord will look in favor. To this man will I look. He that is what? Poor and of a contrite spirit. There's your humility. And that trembleth at my word. That is the spirit we must never forget in which we approach God at all times in this matter of prayer. It comes back to Brother 
Ralph's reminding us, thy will, not mine, be done according to his will. That is the spirit of humility. All right, now, another hand was up somewhere. Oh, Nelly? It seems to me that that would be the only way Uh, you were speaking in this 12th chapter of Acts about someone, someone then they say, well, God had a look to see that would be delivering him also. But uh, uh, we can see in the, in the first couple of chapters that there's this indication that, that uh, James was, was killed. That's right. You know, somebody there might say, and this uh, we won't answer, but this raises a point. Well, why was James allowed to perish, and why was Peter spared? That's one answer, and it's 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 a good one, huh? His probation uh, had reached its end, and the Lord knew it. The Lord does all things well in those things. Uh, somebody might say it looks like there's a bit of discrimination there. The Lord allowed James to to perish, and uh, on the other hand, spared Peter. Hmm? 